0: Welcome back to This is uh, Andy, of course, and uh, this is actually the first episode that I've recorded in 2022. And, you know, for our regular listeners, they know we try to bring an assortment of creative types, writers and musicians and actors. And we we just lump them all into one human being this time with uh, (laughs) Rob Zubrecki. Welcome to the show, man.
1: (laughs) And nice to be here.
0: Yeah, uh, I was actually kind of poking around the internet, checking out some of the things that you've done. And uh, your PR company sent me over, like, you know, the brief synopsis of who you are. And the the thing that struck me that I was most excited about was uh, that you work at the Magic Castle. I do. So that's yes. something I've only recently found out about maybe in the last two or three years. And I'm like really fascinated. Um, I'm a fan of magicians. I, I, I love, uh, Penn and Teller's fool us, which you've also been on. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of like a chicken and the egg. Like what came first? Was it magic? Was it music? Was it acting? Mm-hmm. Like where, where did you first get the performer bug?
1: Uh, definitely with music. I, I, uh, got the music bug first and and uh for the first since i can remember i mean i i wanted to just listen to records and when i was old enough to have this conceit that i could maybe even play music started playing in in bands and um kind of thought that was my life course for you know 27 years i think Mm -hmm. and then i i stumbled into magic and and um the course of my life changed
0: so do you find it scratches the same itch in a different way or like are they kind of the same experience performing that like how how would you compare the two because it seems so polar opposite of you know music to me is something that you can like listen to over and over and over again but i feel like a magic trick you don't necessarily want to see over and over again because then you start to kind of maybe put the pieces together
1: in that regards yeah you're totally right um magic is is in my opinion meant to be this ephemeral thing where you can certainly see bands and hopefully they're going to do it you know different interpretation of what you you know the records <clears throat> but i think magic is, is very different uh in, in that respect but you know if you think about the idea of of a performer and somebody who wants to sort of sit under the spotlight and whether it's you know playing music or magic or dance or or theater or you know even TV and film acting to to a degree is that same look at me, mom, I'm important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have something to to share. I have something to prove. I have something to you know I like doing this for for one reason or another, so I, I think that um in that regards it's it's very much the same and so when i when i switched over from you know wanting to to play music to to wanting to be a, a magician performance wise it was you know it, it was the same thing you prepare for for an event and then you do the set event and <laughs> figure out what went right and what went wrong and then try to uh, you know do a little bit better the next time
0: the thing that I found from watching magicians, and I find it interesting, is it seems like that a large number of the tricks that magicians do are almost like everyone's working with the same handful of tricks and they're kind of like skinning them to either appear different or put their own twist on it. And you kind of created a, a character, you know, stage persona of Zabreki, which is kind of like a creepy weird he's making me feel kind of like Adams family vibes kind of thing um was was that something that you went to right away like did when you were like getting into magic were you like ah Zebreki and he's going to be like this or did that kind of develop over time
1: it developed over over time although i did realize pretty early on in magic that the like music there's a certain number of of Chords and and instruments that we have available, you know, to us to express our our um, our tunes. And in magic, there's a certain number of magic principles that we have to 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 do that as well. So, to, you know, a toolbox to work with. And um, in in I realized pretty quickly in in magic, it, very much so, and in music to 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 many degrees, that it's all about the spin you put on it. You know, what, what, what is your aesthetic to this? What is your, what kind of stories are you trying to tell? And um, I coming to magic later, I knew I wasn't going to be, nor did I really want to be a, you know, a shredder with like doing card tricks and, yeah. you know, coin tricks. That was never my, that was never the, um, the, the goal, the end the end goal with, with what I was trying to achieve, but that it was an art form and that I could see myself in it. And I could sort of, tell stories to degrees and, and even eventually what I ended up doing was creating this kind of outsider character that you, you know, kind of described as, as the Zabraki character, the odd man, as he's pretty well known in, in magic. And he's, you know, you, you get to write, produce, direct and act, uh, in, in magic. And those are, those are key things in, in self-expression.
0: Sorry, you, you blipped out for a little bit there at the end. I, th- I think
1: I, <laughs> I, no, I might have like, no, no, it's fine.
0: Like, I think I missed the like the key because I got uh write direct and act. Um, so is, is it that you kind of get to do all those around that one character?
1: Yeah, I think I think what I said something like those are those are key things in self-expression.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 really interesting um, to see how. And it, it, it's funny, like, I, I didn't really think about it to today about how there are those parallels in music and magic where it is the same, you know, chords and everyone kind of has their own style. And there are some styles that are the same and there are some styles that are kind of like, well, it's a little bit of, you know, rap and reggae. And, you know, it it, it kind of, especially today, I feel like, you know, when I was a kid, you'd go into the record store and there was country, rap pop and i think like hard rock or maybe heavy metal and that that was it and now it's like i don't even feel like you could divide a record store into sub genres anymore um is there kind of you know like there's mentalism and there's sleight of hand and card tricks do you feel like in magic there's kind of you know you stay in your lane or is there more experimental and you know blend them together I'm all up for for
1: blending. Um, to me, the 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 best the the magic performances and performers that I sort of seem to follow and go back to over time use a employ a variety of of material in their shows. Um, Penn and Teller are probably a, a good example because pe- people not, partially because a lot of your listeners would know who they are, but mm-hmm. um, they they do everything. Those guys, you know, they they employ classic magic there's there is mentalism there is great sleight of hand there's you know the most theatrical presentations of of magic routines that, you know some of the best that i've i've ever i've ever encountered and that that's you know and i think part of what makes them so great is that they do pull from you know so many different um places to to make their performances um feel like a like a like like a movie or or listening to a great song that has you know a certain number of dynamics to it that is you know appealing
0: and the thing i love about them is they they are so loved in you know the magic community and outside the magic community but they're they're so themselves to the point where they break that unwritten rule or it's probably written don't you know a magician never reveals secrets they'll be like no we'll show you how the trick is done and you're going to be just as entertained seeing the process of them, you know, doing a, uh, can't remember what trick it was, but it, it had, pen, um, pen like crawling around inside, like a translucent box. Like the, that was the stage itself. Um, right. and they just flat out showed you how it was done and it was fascinating. And they're, they're such groundbreaking talent.
1: Yeah, of course. And then, exa- and then, yeah, they might, well, they might reveal, uh, you know, how, how one effect is done. They're going to entirely fool you at the end with some, you know, Hitchcockian sort of (laughs) twist where you're like, Oh my God, this is, this is, this, it really is an art form. And I, and I can really love magic because of, you know, people like, like those guys.
0: So how, how did you get involved with the magic castle? And, and can you tell us a little bit of what it's about? Like, I know vaguely what it's about and there's like certain, like there's the public, I think there's like a public area and then there's like magicians only. And, you know, do you get like an owl in the mail or something?
1: Boy, you've kind of got some wrong information. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I know very yeah. little about it. It just sounds like. Uh, a fascinating, yeah. I, you know? I'd be
1: happy to, to, uh, to, to tell you what, you know, a little bit about it. First of all, I I got involved with Magic Castle because I I, I live and I'm from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. so it's always been in near proximity. It's in it's in located in the, the Hollywood Hills foothills, not not too far from, uh, say Hollywood and Vine, and um, it's always been there. I've always known about it. It's it's a Victorian mansion that sits it sits on a on a, on a public street, uh, Franklin Avenue, and so. It wasn't until I became interested in magic that I, I learned that uh, the Magic Castle is a, it's a private club that uh, was established in 1963 by, by these two brothers uh, whose father had this, this dream to have a magic club. And he was a magician, and they came from sort of a, a vaudeville background in, in L.A., Pasadena, and Hollywood. And um, so they started this – they, they in, in the early 60s, they found this dilapidated Victorian – uh, mansion that was built in nineteen oh eight and they they were able to you know lease it out as to fulfill their their father's dream to have this private magic club for magicians and their guests. so it was a membership thing where you could you know for a nominal fee you could become a member and you could bring a certain number of guests each night and you would enter this spooky mansion and there would be areas where there would be say close up magic where you'd see coin tricks card tricks you know things that were done up close Mm -hmm. uh in in very intimate settings Uh, and then stage magic where where you could see you know uh, let's just say a woman saw in half or or you know larger sort of larger scale prop related things uh and then in the in the mid 70s they expanded the club to do it's just being downright popular it really became a, a mecca for for magicians worldwide to sort of flock to this place it was you know the kind of the, the CBGB of of magic uh, mm-hmm. in 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 the '60s. So that said, they when they expanded, um, 1977, 78, when they opened up a room called the, the Parlor Prestidigitation. Digitation, and this parlor was a room for stand up comedian, stand up magician, comedy magicians, yeah, kind of the middle ground between say close up and stage. There's that. There's we we call it parlor or uh, platform style style magic. And that's kind of where I—that's the the realm that I sort of fell into was was in between those two those those two realms. Um, so yeah, it was a hit on the magic scene. People w- went crazy to go there. Ricky Jay uh, came from the East Coast and uh, came to study with a, a man named Di Vernon, who was uh, boy, kind of the uh, the the Lou Reed of of magic, you know? Uh, yeah, people just he was by all means uh original uh he had invented a a, a lot of um card tricks a lot of close up magic and really helped push magic in in the right direction and was was kind of the the almost patriarch of 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 this club and um so people came to study with him from all over the country and, and even worldwide uh you know he became the guy and it became the place where seven nights a week you can go to see magic there's a dress code so you have to dress up it's coat and tie for men no jeans no sneakers uh cocktail attire for women so people are getting dressed up to go to this place they eventually they they open a restaurant mm-hmm. and so you so it's now structured uh so you can wander around this club where there's there's not separate rooms for different people, it's it's you're definitely we're going to go we're going to see a close-up show at seven, and then we'll have dinner at eight, and then see the the big stage show at ten o'clock, and then maybe we'll see um, a, a magician doing you know impromptu card tricks in this little area over here. Meanwhile, again, you're in this Victorian mansion, and there's all sorts of you have turn of the century lithographs, beautiful graphic art from the golden age of magic, which is say 1850 to 1950. So you can see, you know, prints of, you know, Houdini and and people like Thurston or Carter or Chung Ling Su, a whole cast of of really interesting magicians, all the way up until uh till to today. So you might see, you know, you might see a poster for um, someone like more a popular recent magician, someone like Derek Dogadio might have a piece of artwork up there uh, related to one of his shows. So there's a lot of ephemeral pieces as well. Um, and it really honors all kinds of magic and um, is, it's the Mecca. It, it never, it, 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 it never shut down. And it's gone through waves of, of being popular and, and unpopular where magic as magic has kind of gone through its, its own sort of, you know, waves of, um, of, of popularity in, in say pop culture um, about 10 years ago, Neil Patrick Harris, the, the uh, actor, the television actor, and a uh, magician became the president of the club. Right. And had a resurgence of his own from being um, a child actor or
0: wherever. Yeah. I, I, yeah, think, I think that was it. about the time he was on uh, how I met your mother.
1: Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he was in the spotlight quite a bit and going on television shows and sort of promoting not only the shows he was working on, but shows like, uh, not but, but but the magic castle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the world was just ready for it. They kind of, people were kind of, a little more curious about magic at that point. Um, So it opened up the popularity of of the club. And now um, at least pre pandemic, it's, it's, there's a, there's a big waiting list to become a member. um, And it's, it's very crowded and it's not uh, it's not hurting for, for, you know, for membership.
0: It's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So I feel like there's been kind of a, it's hard to say. It's like, sometimes my focus is on something and I'm like, Oh my God, this is like so popular or I'm just paying attention to it. <laughs> but uh, that's
1: for sure. <laughs> it, it seems like, it, you know, there's that's a my lot whole of life in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it seems oh like there's God. a lot of interest in um, magic where people are doing kind of, you know, camera tricks and stuff on either TikTok or, or YouTube or those type of things. Um, is that kind of, looked upon this as still magic where they're doing kind of like camera tricks and perspective tricks.
1: I can't really answer that because I don't um I, I don't know what looked upon is you know I uh, I can only answer that through the filter that I see things. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't look at stuff like that generally TikTok I don't really I'm not a you know um I don't pay a lot of attention to that stuff but it might be very popular and and some certain people might revere it as as magic or magical
0: yeah hmm. uh but you are on YouTube I was actually just watching um is it uh the other side the other side with sabbreki my my yeah. show yeah of course uh that's oh, kind of yeah. it's, it's um it's fun and you know i think you know, I've, I've always been fascinated with the macabre and I grew up on with shows like um, Ripley's Believe It or Not and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of where my uh, interest in magic kind of connects because there's a lot of crossover in things like seances and Houdini. And um, so was it a Houdini inspired seance show? Like, how, how did you come up with that?
1: Not at all. It it was not at all inspired by by Houdini. Although he he Houdini plays a great role in in the world of spiritualism from the 1920s. Undoubtedly, he's definitely one of the one of the um, the figures. That if you're you know talking about that stuff, you can't not bring him up because he was a staunch non believer of right. of ghosts and spirits and the seances that were. Really popular um, during during that wave of uh, of, of seances. Of but he touring. was
0: also close friends with um, oh my god, the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, who was yeah, Arthur staunch- Conan Doyle. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. was the a- believer. Yes. Yeah. And, they, and
1: they their friendship ended because Conan Doyle believed that the only way that Houdini could have achieved any of his those those magical effects or escaped from from any of those things that he was shackled up and was through by by dematerializing his body and and of course you know rematerializing other places and that's just not how it worked yeah <laughs> so anyway that yeah that, that 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 friendship uh ended uh sort of famously be- because of that um but the reason that i i I created that show with, with my wife um, because we, she helped me create the the magic character that is Zabrecki and that you kind of see on, on that show on the other side with Zabrecki. Um, And for, for many years, probably 15 years, I, I did it a I performed that live uh, at the magic castle and at magic festivals, magic conventions, and even some comedy festivals, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. I was, I was kind of, I could, the, the character could be, it was a good it was a good puzzle piece for a variety show because there was generally nothing like it you know yeah um so it could fit in as the the oddball act or or whatever and I really enjoyed doing it live and i'd always thought it was a it was a live thing i didn't really want to um i don't know i just never really visualized it as a as a camera like as a um uh something that would live in 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 t v or film so much um at first anyway. And so we thought let's find a place for, for this character to have a little spot on, on the internet and, or on television, you know, you, you create something and you, you kind of do what you can with it. It, it. it is as much fun as it was. And it's successful in, in the way that I define success with that character, create a show with it and see, you know, um, what we can do with that. So with, okay, anyway, so, so we thought of the kind of the the stupidest idea that we could think of was to have a, a seance uh, show where guests could come into my living room and, and reach out to a spirit of their choice. And that would give us uh, the opportunity to a connect with sort of people that were, that we knew in in showbiz that were fun, that were going to be interesting and kind of, make a show that was provocative and and interesting where we could employ music that we liked and graphics. And it it went, it came back to that right, produce direct act thing where we could make this whole thing and wrap it up into a tight little, little package, which we did. And, uh, and that's, that's the show. We, we, we took a version of it around to the networks and they were all scratching their heads going, what this is, you know, without saying it so much that they kind of just thought it was stupid as we thought it was, uh, but (laughs) didn't want to sort of engage us to, to uh, make it on the soundstage. So we made it in our living room, which was again, just probably more, more fun and more interesting because there was not, we had no zero interference um, from, from any, there was nobody else besides my wife and I and, and a friend that helped us make it sort of, pitch into the editing and you know the way that it made it the way that it sort of ended up turning out and we got to use for the most part um to my to my favorite uh composers uh band called monitor uh we used their music to death uh they put out one monitor was a, an la band um 79 to 83 i think in la something like that and they, they released one album in a, in a 45 and it's just loaded with some of the greatest music of all of all time, in my opinion, and then um, a buddy of mine, um, longtime friend named Brad Laner, who is an avant garde sort of composer and had had many bands, but he's more now into um, uh, kind of uh, I don't know avant soundscapey kind of stuff, music concrete, yeah, uh, synthesizer mashup, really far out stuff. And so we were able to put this music in that we really liked, and just made this kind of these little montages of of um of things that kind of made made the the collage that is that show other side with Sabrecki. Yeah.
0: yeah it's really cool and it's kind of it's got a real uh, like vintage throwback vibe to it with kind of like the weird sound skips and 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 you know crackles and and those kind of the stuff you would see in an old film you know archival type stuff uh, I I thought it was it was really great and it's, it's such a good time to have an idea like that, that, you know, the studio is going to look at and go, I don't know what that is. Cause then you can just, you know, put it together yourself and, and there's platforms like YouTube and, and, and whatnot that you can put it out on. It's, it's, it's a fun time to be a creative person because I feel like the bar for entry is so much lower where i mean mean that in a positive way
1: no i i completely agree and that's that's true for for musicians as well i mean i think you know back back when i was playing in bands it was you know there was definitely the four track school of people you know kicking kicking it down to the task cam and and putting out you know lo-fi stuff and making 45s and kind of in that diy world but there was also you know bands going into studios and and having to Negotiate creative terms with with record labels and and you know down to their artwork and you know all that kind of stuff and now you don't you really don't need it and and if it's if it's good people s- seem to find their way to it eventually and and even if it's I mean if it's and certainly if it's not good people can still find their way to it but
0: it um, good's very subjective <laughs> yeah it's very yeah. subjective
1: uh, but yeah but I think now everyone's kind of pretty much got a fair shot which I think is which I think is great
0: yeah um what are you listening to now is 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 there like something something that's jumping out at you
1: always i i'm i also i listen to a lot of music um you know i i've been i've gone back to a record that um that had a pretty profound effect on me in the in the when it came out um the band is called slint uh they're from louisville kentucky and, uh, they they put out two albums um late 80s and then i think i think their their second album spiderland uh, came out in the 91 90 91 anyhow um a guy called Lance bangs uh, did a documentary called breadcrumb trails and uh, about about the band and it it kind of just reopened my sort of admiration and and curiosity about about the band they're very mysterious they, they they made this this album called spiderland and then they they disbanded and it's a really unusual uh a record and um really captures a great great time and place um for you know what was kind of going on at the time in 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 a, in the music sort of landscape of the late 80s early 90s and in, in what would some people would probably call last wave of underground you know pre-internet stuff so I mean listen to them quite a bit. Um yeah, I think that's that's uh the, really took a kind of a deep dive. They they re, when they reissued the record, um there's all there's B-sides and all sorts of, you know, other, you know, alternate recordings and and uh, they put out a, a previous album that uh, Steve Albini produced uh called Tweez. I hadn't really given that much listen and it was really, you know, when I when I go on a dive, it's it, it can it's usually the tear can last from like you know, three weeks to 30 years. (laughs) I just, I'm always like, you know, going deeper and deeper into, um, but yeah, I'd say that slint has probably, probably been uh, most recently getting a lot of, a lot of my attention.
0: And how do you, uh, how do you intake music? Are you like a active listener, listener, like where you sit in a room and you're not doing something, maybe looking at the album art or something and, and and listening to the music, or are you more passive where you're like, it's on in the background while you're working on something else? Like, do you have a preferred way? To- I,
1: I like to, I, I to be honest, I, I like it on I, all, every, all in every way. I yeah. listened to the slint record the other night, at three in the morning when I couldn't sleep. And I, it, I had a very, uh, very close connection with that record, like listening to on the headphones, it was quiet. I was, it was dark. And I just really was transported into, into another world through, through, through me, their music, And you know, but in general, like that kind of headphone at night listening, I, I don't do a lot of that, but I, I certainly uh, engage that. I, I bike ride a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, I I've got, um Spotify account with thirteen hundred <laughs> songs, oh, <geez. laughs> uh, liked liked songs. So I hit shuffle on that, and it's you know, one minute it's it's um, Ethiopian jazz, you know, and the next minute it's it's uh, hardcore. The next minute it's sixties uh, Jamaican ska, and then Jim Croce pops up, and it's like <laughs> you know, it, I'm I'm a, I'm all over the place. Um, yeah. and so I I like. Uh, I do like a variety of, of music. And and so I, I I would say I listen to a lot on, on headphones, bike riding. Um, let's see. For, for During the pandemic, um, there was a show on WFMU out of New York um, that I'm, a f- uh, I am ai would not say regular listening to, but I really, I like that station a lot. And uh, Ira Kaplan, the uh, one third of the band Yola Tango um, had a show that he he did on Tuesday nights from I don't know six to nine or something, at least yeah. in LA. And it was amazing. And he he played the greatest music. And so my wife and I would listen to his show and make and we cook. We we were like making food, um weird recipes from all over the world, things, foods we'd never tried, things like made pretzels for example from scratch yeah um uh, african stews you name it we were like let's just we were trying all kinds of crazy stuff and we we're doing that by listening to his his radio show and it was really uh, a thing of beauty like because his music his his scope of music is much broader than mine and i would say maybe maybe most people's the guy's a true encyclopedia of um of of uh what i would call good really good music um so i was like l- running over and going oh my god I never i never heard this kink song this is so weird and then oh here's what's this peribu b-side i've never heard and, you know so I was constantly like taking notes and then during the week going back and finding these recordings and some are some can be found and some aren't because they're only on vinyl 45s with limited pressing and it's like, a
0: right.
1: great world of like it, it was truly a, a a musical resurgence um, for me because I think we all get comfortable with listening to our same, you know, 200 right. records that we like or th- certain genres or whatever. But with um, I think Ira just reminded me of how, how much music is out there and how much great music there is out there. And just when you think you've got a handle on certain artists or, or, you know, genres, there's, there's always more.
0: Yeah. It's one of my favorite byproducts of having this podcast is we get to talk to a lot of musicians and just, you know, there's so many that I've never even heard of. And then you, you you know, you talk to them and, and they're, I don't, they're far bigger, you know, or or more widely known than you would think, you know, like, um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I got to interview um, this guy, Red, from a band called Red, Gold, Green, And uh, their albums were produced by Pharrell and Dave Grohl played drums on their album. It's like, they're, you know, a well-known band, never heard of them. And so then it's like, you, you, you kind of discover this band and you know, you, you, you meet them and then you listen to them and you're like, wow. So, okay. Now there's, you know, I've just added this. It's it's almost like, Oh, I've just added a new baseball card to the collection, you know? Okay. There's another band that I like. And, and uh, so I, I love discovering new music and I'm definitely gonna have to check out that radio show.
1: Yeah, it's it's um it's called Ira the K. Mm-hmm. Ira the K on WFMU and uh it is every d- WFMU is archived really well. Um so a lot of uh, independent radio stations and college radio stations are d- don't have things that they're they're act together like like WFMU does and and it's it's so great cuz you can actually click on uh there's a there's a all sorts of um you can interact with it. you can open up windows and download stuff and really like it, take a deep dive into if there's something you're interested in it's it's really easy to kind of you know see see what it is and his commentary of course is 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 amazing um there there's certainly uh, uh one of my my fa- yellow tango is one of my favorite bands i would say you know of okay. of uh the past 40 years 30 years i don't know but yeah it's it's great when you discover it, it is it is very much like y- you have this. It's a great feeling to to discover new music. There's really, there's kind of nothing like it. And even it,
0: I, I, th- I think my favorite part of it too is then I get to go to my friends and be like, oh, you know what, you know, you're not listening to that you should be. And there's friends that are like, great, fan, like whatever. But then there's, uh, there's a there's a little dive bar right around the corner from where I am, and maybe seats maybe 20 people it's just as divey as they get Uh and one of the bartenders there uh uh trevor is a big music fan and like we'll just start kind of going back and forth and we'll just start playing whatever you know in this bar and people be like what are we listening to and they're like don't matter listen to it you know it's just yeah i love that kind of sharing of of, you know kind of unknown it's amazing
1: yeah the best is when someone like trevor goes you don't know that record <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> or, or the worst, or like you you're like, oh, I got an awesome one, and you'd be like, you should check out. And he's like, Yeah, I've listened to that. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, what are you stupid? Yeah. What's that what's
1: that joke? Um uh how many how many indie rockers does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. yeah, it speaks volumes of uh, of the kind of sort of a world that I was very familiar with, and not not in, entirely entrenched in, but but definitely was on the outskirts and or woven into the fabric of that late eighties, early nineties um, independent music world of in, in LA. You know, <clears throat> yeah.
0: well, that was the place to be. You know, with the, with the bands. Not yeah, like, I mean, it, we didn't it was, have much of yeah. a music scene here in in Boston at that time. It seemed like it was all West Coast.
1: I mean, I get yeah, I, I guess I don't know. There's plenty plenty of bands came out of Boston that I that I like, but I think LA certainly is on the map for bands would stop here, and and it was a you know it was a, it was always a hub, um, you know, kind of had had to come through, and from '89 to I don't know '92 '93. I helped some college friends or junior college friends, community college friends um, open a, a, a nightclub gallery kind of art gallery coffee bar called Jabberjaw, which was an all ages venue um, and bands were playing there like crazy. We, we, you know, it started off pretty race kind of with a small stage mm-hmm. It was kind of an, kind of geared for more acoustic small small performances. And, and then in no time it 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 expanded. Um the stage expanded, not not the actual venue. Yeah. Um, but bands like Nirvana played there. Um uh, oh, wow. and and all kinds of you know touring acts of that of that realm uh were, were coming through. So it was uh it was a good sort of time to to see. Uh, lots of music and and being kind of, in, in, you know, around for that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it's exciting to see like um, that kind of venue sprout up. There's one uh, right, not too, right up the road here um, in Pembroke, it's called Soundcheck Studios. And mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, the owners had kind of like this warehouse type thing and they wanted to put in, you know, rehearsal studios. So they put in a bunch of, you know, rehearsal studios for bands And then one of them was like, hey, it'd be kind of cool If we had like a little stage, you know the, In the front area where, you know, maybe like On a Friday night, one of the bands could perform, you know Kind of, you know mm-hmm. Knock the dust off or just get some practice Or whatever Yeah, And uh, it held, I don't know Maybe 200 people, maybe 200 people mm-hmm. And so they got a beer and Wine license so you could have some drinks And uh, during COVID Now there's a recording studio in there They have a huge venue you know, full stage and lighting, and and uh, they're they're funny. They're like, you know, we opened re- yeah, you know band rehearsal space, and now we're nightclub owners, and like we don't know how it happened. And yeah, they're starting to get right. you know, traveling bands, and it's it's just it's really exciting. Yeah. Um. So, where can our listeners go to find out more about you? Uh, is there a website? Uh, you said you don't do social media too much. Is that?
1: I don't have a website now. I decided. I mean, I, I, a couple of years ago, I I uh, I had written a uh, a memoir about growing up in uh, Burbank and sort of having these experiences as a as a youth, um, um, you know, my misspent youth, kind of uh, yeah, out on the West Coast, um, and finding my way in in the art world, you know, um, and so I had a website for that, and I at one point when the the sort of uh, excitement of the book died down, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I decided Instagram is enough for me. So I I would say, you know, I kind of use uh, Instagram and then if I've got something I want to put up, you know, uh, I put up on, you know, even on, on Facebook or on, U- you know, there's YouTube clips of stuff that I've done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of just let the world decide what, how that should go. I, I can't get too bothered with that. And, You know, I I appear sometimes in TV shows and films that um, I don't always watch or promote. Uh, I'm not (laughs) not the greatest uh, promoter of stuff that I've done. If I was, I'd probably be more successful. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I don't know. um, I'm always just entrenched in my next little project. And I, I don't always see, you know... I define success really differently than, than most people, you know, and it's kind of like when I do something, I kind of just let go of it. And, and uh, it doesn't always have a home, you know, as an end result. Um, Yeah.
0: I actually really like that. I um, have had the opportunity to work on a couple of public art projects here in Plymouth Mm -hmm. and uh, they were kind of like these fiberglass Lobsters, and mm. they selected artists to paint them, and then they put them all around the town. and The idea was to get people to kind of walk all over looking for all the lobsters. And you know, people were like, "Oh, you know, yours had some damage, or you know, it's kind of leaning." And you know, are you going to go fix it? I'm like, no, I'm like, um, it, that's it belongs to the world. Like, it's it's on its that's own. Right. And like, as soon as I as soon as I like the whole time working on it i'm like there's a real world chance that this is going to get stolen or destroyed and i was kind of okay with that to me that was kind of part of it you know if it got stolen then there's a good story you know and yeah
1: yeah yeah that's great yeah so yeah i think it's a you know it's all kind of a create and destroy thing for me like i sort of get an idea in mind and once it is i i in my mind however i think it's complete i i you know i'm not somebody who i don't really linger i try i try not to spend too much time thinking about you know past or or previous things because i it just takes me to a a dark place (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know besides i think you you in my opinion you know you get you get one life and you just want to do as many fun and interesting projects as you can before you know you got to sign off and um you can't do that when you're looking back too much
0: that's phenomenal advice um uh, do you are you working on something now that you can talk about or
1: uh think let me think i've got to be i've got to be working on several projects yeah nothing uh nothing nothing ready nothing ready yeah but but i i am i am preparing to tape uh my, my hour magic show um, kind of once and for all, I'll just make a time capsule of the show that I've been doing for 20 years. And in some ways, put it on, put it on the shelf and just let it be, let it exist as this thing that I've you know traveled the world doing and put a lot of time and energy into. Um, it just seems like a good time to, you know, send, send that one, send that one off so that's that's pretty much that and then and then the, the book that i wrote um my memoir is called strange cures and there's aspects of that that i i'm i'm rewriting chapters and passages that i'm rewriting uh for a, maybe a stand up show um so it's it's kind of continues in the same memoir performative world uh of of what i would like to do you know awesome.
0: Well, Rob, I want to say uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. This was uh, genuinely a ton of fun. Um, it, it I feel like we're pretty pretty on the on the same vibe, you know, love music and performing in all sorts of different ways, and uh, so it was it was really great. Um, when you are ready to promote something, please feel free to reach out, and we'll get you back on the show.
1: Hey, thank you. It was really a, it was a pleasure. It's a lot yeah. of fun.
0: Outstanding. And uh, so we'll catch all you listeners again back here next week. And um, until then, we'll talk to you later. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, If you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at Anebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at anebriart or at anebriart 6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk, Podcast, Old Colony Cast, inebriart, and all the other shows on the inebriart network, which you can find at inebriart.com. So thanks again for listening.